Well, all right. So glad that y'all are here today. Yes, Owen is still on sabbatical. And yes, you have to put up with other people preaching. So thank you for being here. Several of you found out I was preaching and you, you kind of let me know that you would be leaving after the music. So now is your time if, uh, if that is a real thing and no offense taken. <laughs> um, this morning, as we get started, I, I do want to ask you to think about something in particular. Have you ever overlooked a, a good thing? Uh, or maybe better said, are there things in life that you now enjoy, things in life that you now love that at one time or another that just wasn't the case? Um, I can think of one thing in particular. I could list a lot of things, but the Brussels sprout. Is there anybody in this room? Who are my Brussels sprout fans? Hey, all right, good deal. Um, to be honest, at one point, I would have never considered that to actually be a real thing, like that was, that was an existence, like a small little piece of cabbage, like, ugh. But I tell you what, I am surprised how much I have. It is honestly one of my favorite vegetables, if it's prepared right. And if you're struggling to see that, come and see me. I will pray for you, and I will also help you with Brussels sprout enjoyment. But uh, I think uh, age and experience has a way of opening our eyes and awakening our appreciation for things that, that we previously did not recognize or acknowledge. And in a sense, if I can kind of, in a cute way, make a segue into the message this morning, the text this morning in Luke 11 that I'm going to be preaching from is somewhat that way for me. It fits in that category. In it, Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer. Uh, but there is really something significant about what Jesus is trying to convey to his disciples. And I'm not sure I had pondered the depth of the significance of what he was trying to say to them. I honestly have already preached this text before, and not that I have believed I've preached it falsely uh, as we think about prayer, but I, I certainly don't feel like I have communicated thoroughly the significance of Jesus' heart for his disciples when it comes to prayer. And I, I pray and I hope that that can be accomplished today. One of my main objectives as a, as a pastor here, my role at Emmaus, directed by Owen, distinguished by, by you all, is for me to facilitate and equip prayer and praise. That's, that's what I'm supposed to wake up thinking about as I think about my love for you all, is how do I help Emmaus praise and how do I help them pray? While also, serving and loving our senior adults. Shout out to my friends in the room. Love you guys. Uh, sidebar, commercial. Remember Pastor Potluck today at 5 p.m. Little hymn sing, a little food. It's going to be great. Branson trip coming up in September. We'll even stretch the 50 plus. And you know, who considers himself a senior adult here at Emmaus anyways? I am not going to dictate that. That is going to be based upon your own perspectives about yourself. So, uh, but hey, senior adults, we love you guys as well. Back to the text this morning. Um, we are going to be focusing on prayer. And, and even now, I want to be sensitive to this. As I mentioned this, it's possible that a large majority of folks in the room are, are already responding in two ways, even this early in the message. One, potentially, you're, you're starting to beat yourself up a little bit. You're starting to encounter a little bit of despair about the lack of prayer in your life. That it, that it doesn't have the significance that you think it should. And, and there may be a whole other group of people who you're starting to tune me out because you've tried and you're overwhelmed and you're uncertain and quite honestly, you're like, I'm not even sure it really matters or works, at least for me. 
And, and I just want to say on the front end that I understand, that I have felt that and sometimes feel these tensions. And my hope is that today doesn't feel so much like a lecture on prayer that positions everyone in the room to leave, to go home and say, okay, I'm going to try really hard to pray this week. I'm going to fulfill my Christian duty to pray. That, that is not my goal. If, if I can make the connection, like discovering the surprise joy of a Brussels sprout, that today, you and I, I'm praying for myself and, and you as well, that, that we would uncover, that we would discover another way to enjoy God and his goodness to, to us that only comes through prayer. Um, today, we're going to see that Jesus' teaching on prayer isn't just another activity that we're supposed to add to our life, but it really is about discovering the Holy Spirit's work in our life. And so if you are prone to those two things I mentioned, despair or apathy or a cynical spirit, then I want to invite us. Let's, let's fight together just right now in this moment, just to pause and to pray and that you would ask the Holy Spirit to help you fight against those tendencies. You would ask God to open your eyes and your heart to what he has to say to you. So we're going to pray now, and then we're also going to close our service in prayer, and I'll give you more instruction on that. But I invite you to be active in this moment now. Let's pray together and ask God for grace before we look in the text. God, we thank you for your love and your mercy towards us that we have sung about in these songs this morning, reminding our hearts when we are wayward and prone to forget the God who loves us. Lord, would you help us remember in this moment? And that, Lord, when we are confronted with the opportunity to pray, that we would fight against apathy, that we would fight against despair, that we would be reminded that you care and love for us, and you invite us to ask for help. And Lord, we do that now. Would you help us to see and help us to believe? And it's your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you haven't already, uh, we're going to be in Luke 11 this morning. It'll be on the screen, but if you have your Bible or phone, now would be the time to do that. We're going to look at Luke 11, verses 1 through 13. And it says this in verse 1, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. So from the get-go, prayer was a consistent and essential pursuit of Jesus. And today, maybe you're like, yes, I believe that prayer is a pursuit, an essential part, or should be an essential part of my life. But nevertheless, you still feel overwhelmed. Nevertheless, you, at best, maybe feel uncertain. And I would say, if that is the case, and I would not be shocked that many of us in the room feel that way about prayer, I would say, welcome to the party. You are in good company. The disciples themselves and many of us in the room feel this tension. And so the issue is not whether or not you feel overwhelmed or uncertain about prayer. The issue is what do we do about that tension? In the uncertainty that the disciples experienced here in Luke 1, their uncertainty drew them closer to Jesus, not further away. And so Jesus met their question with compassion, not exasperation. And today, we can be drawn closer to him, even through our uncertainty, because Jesus does want to help, and he wants us to help us to, to pray with godly desires in mind. Look at verses 2 through 4. You're going to recognize this passage known as the Lord's Prayer. Verse 2, And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, 
Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. It, it certainly is permissible for us to pray the Lord's Prayer verbatim, but it's not Jesus' intention. Praying with his desires in mind is much more important than praying with his words. And so what is Jesus saying about this prayer? And so let's just identify a few things. First of all, when we pray, not if, Jesus instructs us to pray with the highest desires, that his name and his kingdom be taken serious, that his name and kingdom be honored. And this is the highest goal of our prayer. God, I want your name, the name that is above every other name, to be glorified in first, first in me and then in everyone everywhere, that we would see you as you really are. That, that is it. That is the highest goal of our prayer. The problem is we are inclined to our own name and kingdom. We, we naturally live with a certain level of independence. I mean, just even tangibly, when you have been in a, in a hard season of life, having to depend on others for help or resources can be extremely challenging to our pride. But again, to pray for daily bread is to pray against this kind of independence when it comes to God. And so to live without a sense of need before God, it is the worst part of the human condition. And so we pray against this by asking God, give us daily bread to make room in our hearts for humility, to make room in our hearts for trust, to, to really forsake our own name and kingdom, to really display his strength in us, not our own sufficiency. And because we trust God, we don't have to avoid him, but run to him even when we sin. We forsake trying to be our own savior, and we run to the only savior who is faithful and just to forgive us. And because he forgives us, we can forgive others. And by forgiving others, we come full circle with his prayer. Because he forgives us and we forgive others, God's name and kingdom, they're being revered because we are becoming like our heavenly father. And so when we pray, it's not about using Jesus' specific words, but about his desires. It starts, continues, and ends with his name and his kingdom. And, and Jesus wants to help us understand that, that these godly desires should change how we pray, that we pray with a sense of urgency. Jesus shares a really interesting story that we're not going to really unpack in great detail, but look at verses 5 through 8. Jesus says, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Really quickly, it really deserves more time, but i got lots to say. There's two characters in that story. The stubborn neighbor who will not help, he is not, that is not describing our Heavenly Father. As if God does not want to be bothered, as if he wants to be nagged into helping, it really is the other character that Jesus is wanting us to latch on to. It's really important because this man, he's desperate, he's boldly infringing upon his neighbor's privacy, his sleep, his resources to resolve this great need that he has. He will not quit begging for help, and that exactly is Jesus' point. Jesus wants us to know that God is not annoyed by our prayers. God wants us to be bold. He wants us to be excessive with our prayers without 
a hint of hesitation. But Jesus also wants to help us understand that these godly desires change the means by which we pray and that we keep going, that we don't stop. Look what he says in verse 9 through 10. He says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. In our English rendition of the Bible, we miss out on a really important point that Jesus is trying to make here. We see ask, seek, knock, as if it's just this one-time deal. But really, what he says in the original language is to keep on asking, to keep on seeking, to keep on knocking. And so it's more accurate to, to see that this is a continuous thing, that when we are praying with godly desires in mind, it is something that we continue to pursue in our relationship with our Lord through prayer. And it's at this point I really want to hit the pause button and be a little bit honest and vulnerable with you. With, with my personality and my task-focused uh, uh, way of perspective, way I, I see things, it, it is really easy for me to, to look at the text that we've read so far and say, okay, uh, Jesus, you told me what to pray for. Okay, check. Uh, you told me how to pray with urgency, check. When to pray, don't stop, just keep going. And all of a sudden, I've got a nice little formula. All of a sudden, I've got some boxes that I can check off when it comes to prayer. And, and this, is, this isn't Jesus's point. Uh, this limited view of prayer will leave me feeling weary, and I will despair because it will feel lifeless, it will feel mechanical, and one might even grow cynical and tempted to think, what's the point? And so Jesus wants us to know that there is more to prayer, that there is something very significant about the opportunity we have to come before our Father in heaven. And that's what we're going to look at for the rest of our time together from verses 11 through 13. 11 through 13. But before we read that, I want to get a little personal with you and ask you to think about something. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, wrote about a, a really important concept. And he said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What you conceive about God in the deepest core of your heart and mind is important because it impacts how you relate to him. Um, we have an opposition. Our enemy, the devil himself, the world and we live, maybe even your own experiences with your own earthly father, but most importantly, significantly, is our own sinfulness. It can portray an inaccurate perception of God our Father. For example, maybe this morning you have been tempted or currently are being tempted to see God as this police or authority figure that he's got his radar gun shooting right at you just waiting for you to mess up again. Or maybe this morning you have been tempted to see God like a dishonest custodian who really isn't interested in dealing with your dirt. He'll just sweep under the rug and move on. Or maybe you have been tempted to see God as that over-generous granddad that you never have time for unless you need something from him. And there are countless other ways in which our perception can be inaccurate, but these views position us to relate to God in an unhealthy way. It leaves us chronically afraid of God, filled with despair about our constant struggle to do the right thing. It leaves us apathetic and lacking urgency to consider 
the importance of honoring him and loving his good design for us, it leaves us rather distant from him, with the exception of when you're in a tight spot and you want something from him. How should we view our Heavenly Father, especially within the context of prayer? Let's look at verses 11 through 13. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? These are basic necessities in life. A fish, an egg. Verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This morning, through the word, Jesus wants us to trust the Father's heart for us, to trust his care and his provision. The, the best fathers among us, they look after their own children, they're attentive to their needs, and they will not withhold any good thing within their means and pertaining to the moment. And yet at best, these fathers are sinful and selfish. And so that should make our our minds click over it and ask the question, well then, what does that lead us to believe about God our Father, who is eternally good and without any evil? Jesus longs for you today to be convinced of how much more our Heavenly Father loves you. And why must we trust the Father's love? If, if, if you do not trust the Father's love, you will not be able to make sense of his provision for you in your life as your Father. His provision is surprising and potentially, for some, disappointing. Look at verse 13 again. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good gifts? Mm -mm. Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. What? Holy Spirit? But, but God, what about my cancer? God, what about my difficult boss? What about my struggling marriage? God, what about my kid who does not acknowledge you? What about that? What does the Holy Spirit have to do with those needs in my life? That is a really good question. And a question where we have to dig in our heels this morning and from this point forward, listen very intently that we understand exactly what is Jesus offering us in verse 13. It's going to be on the... Um, the screen for you, but towards the end of Jesus's earthly ministry, um, he was preparing his disciples for his departure, for his death, and he wanted to comfort them in sorrow. And what does he tell his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 7? It says, Jesus says this, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus said, it's, it's for your good that I leave. For if I do not go, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So in God's divine wisdom, Jesus' bodily absence and the presence of the Holy Spirit would prove best for the disciples as well as for us today. And so how do we understand this? We're going to jump to Romans chapter 8, look at a few verses in that chapter. And starting in verse 1, 
Paul says this to the Romans, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So the Holy Spirit, whom was just mentioned, by the way, was active in creating life in Genesis 1. You can go back and look at that. He created life in Genesis 1 that we sang about today. That same spirit is the one who is active in creating spiritual life in us to help us see our need for Jesus. The Holy Spirit sets us free. Look at verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Alternatively, those who are still spiritually blind, spiritually dead, they're still in the flesh, they cannot please God. You, however, verse 9, are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. There's a whole lot here to unpack, but if I can be brief here, in other words, the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is the one who resurrects us spiritually from death to life. It does not, it cannot, it will not happen apart from the Spirit. Today, if your hope is in Jesus, it is because the Holy Spirit has done a work in your heart. But also, through this work, Jesus Christ himself comes to dwell in you through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is Christ in you, the hope and glory, Colossians 1, 27. So circling back to John 16, the advantage that Jesus was speaking about to his disciples, the advantage of his bodily absence is the presence of the Holy Spirit that indwells in every single one of us who believe upon the name of Jesus. He goes away bodily only to return to dwell within us. And so do we understand then, going back to Luke 11, do we understand what Jesus is offering us? Jesus is offering us himself. Jesus is offering us his power, his presence to be a real thing in us, not some ambiguous or mysterious thing reserved only for super Christians. Hear me out here. When Jesus invites us to ask for the Holy Spirit in Luke 11, he is inviting us to have all that God has to give us. The Holy Spirit is the peak of God's generosity, and all that is required of us is to ask. We need to make some sense of how prayer and the Holy Spirit are intertwined for our closing moments this morning. I hope we can do that. First and foremost, today, if you've never come to a place where you have understand the significance of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the call for you today is to repent and to believe. And we trust today that the Holy Spirit will begin doing that, even in this moment, would open your eyes to see that you are absolutely nothing without Christ. And we pray the Spirit would do that work in you. But secondly, Making sense of God's provision begins with a growing in your understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit. For some of us, let's, let's admit it, 
the Holy Spirit is very mystery, uh, mysterious. It's hard to understand. And in some extreme cases, the Holy Spirit can be ignored or avoided altogether because of the abuses and the misuses we have seen in other people, in other church. Let's be honest, it can get weird. But what does the Bible say about the work of the Holy Spirit? What, again, is Jesus offering us in Luke eleven thirteen? There are a lot of things that we could talk about. I'm not even going to be able to talk about all these. If need be, take a picture of the screen, take it home, explore, and do some study on the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. But succinctly, the Holy Spirit unveils our blindness. It opens our eyes to see life as it really is that we are nothing without Christ, that we are rebellious, we are the ones who deserted him and left, and yet he still came after us to rescue us and to be our only hope of salvation. That is primarily the Holy Spirit's work in your life, and further, from that point forward, to continue to transform you every single day to become more and more and more like Jesus. If you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, that is a desire you have anyways. God is given you the Holy Spirit so that you will desire more of the Holy Spirit, that you'll become more and more like Jesus every single day. But thirdly, what about those needs in our life that bring us to prayer? Whatever your need in life brings you to God in prayer, this is hard, so buckle up. Whatever need brings you to God in prayer what we need to be reminded of this morning is the greatest provision for that prayer is to know and experience the power and presence of Jesus by the Spirit in our life in the midst of that tension, not necessarily the removal of that tension. Having the Holy Spirit is not to be equated with pain-free, victorious living but a greater awareness and love for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for you and for others. And I understand. I, I have felt and I feel it. It might be tempting to believe that God is handing you a snake when you've asked for a fish, that he's handing you a scorpion when you've asked for an egg, but he has not. We often judge the merits of our prayers based upon whether or not we get what we've actually prayed for. I debated on what and how much to share this morning, but because I, I don't want to get in the way. But many of you know our story, Christine and I, how we've walked through hard seasons of life with infertility and miscarriage. And, and if that has touched your life, then you know the tension and the struggle of being told you can't have kids. Um, you, you know the, the tension and the struggle of actually getting pregnant and to only have multiple miscarriages. You know what it's like to pursue adoption only for that to fail multiple times. That is hard. And it's, it's not too uncommon from what other people have experienced. I'm not trying to make us out to be some kind of martyr, but it, it, was, it was hard. It was difficult for us. And yet, here we are today with the kindness of the Lord, getting ready to celebrate our, our first son, a miracle boy, 14-year-old here in a couple weeks. Um, lovely stories of adoption. I wish I could share more in detail with you today. Jeremiah is going to be eight, or he's eight now. Sorry, buddy. Oh, he's getting the folding hand. My bad, brother. I owe you one. Going to be nine in August. Um, and Thomas is going to be turning four here in a couple days. Most 
celebratory, we're getting in potty trained. Can we just celebrate together? What a blessing that is. Praise the Lord. Woo! I'm so excited about that. Hope I don't jinx him. The other side of that story, though, that I didn't even realize for until this week is that Christy and I should be holding a new baby right now. Um, back in August, much to our surprise, uh, as a 45 and 46-year-old, we found out we were pregnant. And you can imagine Draw hitting the floor, um, laughing in disbelief, but coming to a point where like we've seen God do crazy things before, why not another one? And it was on my sabbatical uh, last October that you guys blessed us with uh, that Christine had a really traumatic miscarriage uh, at home. And I won't go into the details, but that was extremely difficult. And if I could just be a little bit blunt with you, why? Why at 45 and 46, God, you'd even allow us to get pregnant to much of our surprise, only to end in a miscarriage. What's, what's the point? And that, that feels really bold, but that is exactly what we felt. And we couldn't make sense of it. And quite honestly, we still haven't been able to make sense of it because there is, there's no logic to explain the struggles of our life, right? And the only thing that could make sense and bring sanity and peace is to lean on passages of Scripture like this where we are, we are having to trust the Father's heart. Though it feels like a snake, it feels like a scorpion, that is not the case because that is not our Father's heart. Even if it comes packaged in a way that we don't like, that we come to a point in realizing that there is something more superior from the, the Father's heart to us that is even better than holding a new child. And that's not easy. It's not easy at all. Jesus himself, he hung on the cross, enduring the physical pain, but also the wrath of God for our sin. And in that moment, he felt forsaken. You remember what he cried out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did Jesus alleviate that tension? Did he answer his prayer, take care of all of that? No. He still suffered. He still died until the third day where Jesus did answer that cry and resurrected him from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. His answer wasn't delayed. But maybe for you today, it feels like God is delaying in your life. Does his provision seem less than caring and loving? And my call to you, but with all grace, because I understand Trust the character and goodness of God the Father, but trust the work of the Holy Spirit in you in the midst of that tension. What if what we think we need or want in this life, however good, fails to compare to the greater good God has in mind that can only come through pain, loss, and tension? What is your current tension right now? What do you wish you could ask God to alleviate and immediately it would be taken care of. I know you got something. Something's come up in your mind. And I just want to be gracious to say 
What if the pinnacle of your existence as a believer and follower of Jesus may not be the resolution of that particular tension? What if the pinnacle is the presence and the power of Jesus in your life that helps you and guides you through that tension? That is not easy. But this is what Jesus offers us. I think it's also important to to see that the Holy Spirit, isn't he the answer to the Lord's Prayer in verses 2 through 4? And the reason why we should pray with urgency, and the reason why we should keep on praying, I mean, the Spirit of Jesus in us will help us honor the name of God and his kingdom, will help us see that he's our daily bread, will help us see that we have forgiveness in Jesus and help us also forgive others as he has forgiven us. But finally, I think it's also important to take note of as we wrap up here, Jesus's invitation to ask for the Spirit in verse 13 is not primarily for you as an individual as it is for us, a people. When did Jesus, look back at verses two through four, when did Jesus use the pronouns I or me? He didn't. He used us and our. This speaks to the importance of coming alongside other people to pray for the same things, but also praying with in the presence of others. It is a gift to be united with others by a common mark of desperation for the work of the Holy Spirit. And hear me out, I know there can be a lot of fear when it comes to to praying with other people. I do not shame, nor do I condemn. I get it. But what are some steps you can take to begin praying with someone? Maybe it's a spouse, a good friend, your kids. What's, what's, a, what's a safe context for you to begin stepping out in faith to do something that Jesus invites us to do, not just when I'm by myself, but to do it with other people? Today, if your takeaway from Luke 11 is to walk out over here going, yep, I don't pray enough. I really need to, I need to start doing that. I'm, I'm afraid you've missed it. It's subtle, but today's message wasn't so much about needing to add prayer to your life, which would be good. We, we all need to add more prayer to our life, am I right? Today's goal and hope was for us to see the importance of the spirit of Jesus being at work in our lives and in our church. And so are you desperate for the power and presence of Jesus in your life, in your family, your lost friends, your coworkers, our church, etc., etc.? Jesus says, hey, just ask. It's that simple. The question again is not, will we be a praying people? We need to be. But the greater question is, do we really desire the spirit of Jesus to be our authority and to be active in our lives? That will propel us to pray. Let's be bold. Let's be excessive. Let's keep on asking. Let's keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And let's watch the Holy Spirit do what he's described to do in the scriptures throughout. Here's how we're going to close today. We're not going to sing again. We're just going to spend some time in prayer. And for you, if that feels overwhelming and uncertain, I totally get it. 
we will have prayer prompts on the screen. They're going to scroll about every 45 seconds or so. And I just, I want you to feel the goodness of your father who says, hey, I know what you need. And the greatest thing you need is me through the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And you know what? Just ask. And he's yours. I just want to provide some time for us collectively as a church. Students, you may want to go find your parents together as a family. There may be some of you as friends sitting together in the, in the, in the congregation today if you want to turn towards one another and pray. Or maybe you've just prayed with your spouse. I'm not going to tell you how and what to do. I just want to provide the moments for you to do that. And there will not be, I won't come up here and say, we're done, you're dismissed. You're just going to be able to dismiss yourself. We don't do this very often. Um, and so when your time is done, whenever that is, I just ask you to just quietly and reverently, if you'll just walk out of this place, I'm sure there's some more Dr. Peppers and cupcakes out there. If you didn't get one earlier, you can go and hang out and uh, visit out there. But I just want to provide some time for us to really embrace Jesus's invitation this morning to ask what he desperately so wants us to have. And that is him, his Holy Spirit in us. Let's pray and we'll get going. God, we thank you for your work in us through your son, apart from him and your Holy Spirit in us, we are nothing. Lord, help us if anything today is just an assessment of recognizing that, that we are nothing without you. And Lord, that we would understand Lord, that though we already have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, we know, we know that you invite us to come and to pursue more of what he wants to do in us. And so give us expectant hearts, give us urgent hearts that we would call upon you to do what we so desperately need you to do, and that is to transform us from the inside out and that you would rescue lost people in and around us in our neighborhoods, our work and our school, Lord, that they too might come to know the love of a good father. Lord, may we call upon your name collectively today, and it's your name we pray. Amen.